0: double loop podcast your source for everything about fingerprints while you're working on your comparisons we'll, we'll talk about comparisons i'm eric ray and i'm glenn langenberg hello glenn welcome from uh let's see here clearwater florida the tampa bay area uh Beautiful. it is humid and flat <laughs> <laughs> wow uh, no, I'm just used to mountains and and dryness. So those are the two things that stand out to me. Um, but no, I'm I'm teaching down here in the Tampa Bay area, and it's been a great class so far. We've got one day left, uh, but um, uh, it, it really has been great. There's there's a, a few eagle eyes down here, at a couple mm. of the agencies, and uh, I've I've been impressed. I really have been at you know all of a sudden. Wait, you guys are you're, – you're done? Oh, okay. Well, here. Here's an extra one. Try doing – oh, and you're done with that one too. All right. Well, good job, guys. Now, this is your your gyro course, right? No, no, no. The exclusionology.
1: Oh, my my fault. I don't think uh, – okay.
0: All right. And it's – again, I've just been impressed so far. So uh, just wanted to do a little shout-out to, uh, to the examiners and the agencies that they work for uh, here uh, just – Again, being fairly impressed with uh, with how well they're doing so far. That's so, excellent. It's great. Uh, the The downside, though, is a, uh, about a week or so ago, uh, on my way to work, wasn't being very careful and uh, rolled my ankle coming down some stairs at the my apartment in West Virginia, and oh, now. I rolled my ankle quite a few times back in the day when I played basketball more often, mm-hmm. you know, junior high and high school. But um, I was also like rail thin back then, and I'm not anymore. Uh, and uh-huh. damn, it is it is tough to this is
1: This is where you're you're just
0: walking along,
1: and literally your your ankle turns into a 90 degree angle, right?
0: Well, except I was also going downstairs and then took a tumble. And, oh, my. Um, for those that know me, it was only like two steps. But still, uh, when I take a tumble, I have further to fall than most. And, so. and you get a
1: sweet backflip at the end, right?
0: <laughs> and I stuck the landing. Oh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've... I've Apologized as you know, part of the class. I'm trying to do from in a chair instead of standing up in the front of the class because I can't just stand up the whole day. Um, oh, you're but, like you're,
1: you're like Professor X. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yes, that's that. Ex- except American and with hair and younger. And right, right.
0: And exactly. That's that's smaller. the look I'm going for. Uh, it's <laughs> still Professor X. Well, uh, before we get too much deeper into the show, I do want to do a quick shout out to uh, a couple of our patreon supporters a few this time uh so big thanks to emily to ryan and to rich uh, for your contributions to the podcast through patreon.com just you know thank you guys for contributing and uh it's big help and uh this week glenn i think we're finally up to speed with all the new equipment right
1: yeah uh, if if i sound Large and in charge and crystal clear, that is because I, I do have uh, the new equipment, a new uh, Rode mic and a soundboard and mixer, and I'm, I'm loving it. it I, I mean, I, I just uh, compared to, you know, I listened to some of the episode from the I.I., I, and it sounds like I'm literally speaking inside of a can, and so it, it, it's nice to be able to have a nice microphone that can, a professional-grade microphone. So th- thank you to our Patreon subscribers.
0: And again, we couldn't really, we couldn't do this. We, we'd still be on our our old, you know, original, old school forty dollar microphones. You know, if, if it wasn't for you guys and, and upgrading to to better equipment, uh, I think is definitely a benefit to everybody. So thanks, thanks again for you guys. Oh, for, for sure. All right, well. Um, I'm I'm set to hear tomorrow wrap up my class here in Tampa and fly all the way to San Diego to the Scafo Conference where I'm supposed to give a presentation about not just... Uh, so uh, Henry Swofford is going to give a presentation about some of the changes coming from OSAC, and I'm going to give a presentation about how, how agencies can start planning on implementing those. And one of the changes that's coming is uh, we'll we'll soon have signed off and approved as a standard the five conclusion scale that's been out in draft form for a little while now uh so glenn and i thought we'd talk about that this week
1: yeah for sure that's it's uh, a great segue
0: i uh, still gotta wrap up the finishing touches on that uh, presentation but um i i do work best under pressure so <laughs> it should come out great but uh so glenn uh do you want to just kind of first start off with the definitions? Do you want to start from the top or the bottom? Uh, how do you want to approach the uh, these decisions that uh, that uh, OSAC has in draft form right now?
1: Right. So let's let's give a little bit of background. First of all, anyone can go to nist.gov and look up uh, under the OSAC, uh, Friction Ridge Subcommittee, and you'll find a number of documents that are in various stages of review. And the one that we're talking about tonight is the standard for friction ridge examination conclusions. This was proposed uh, I believe this year or so, maybe a year ago. Yep. Yeah, somewhere in there. And it is a little bit of a change. In fact, we had a panel uh, regarding some of this discussion at the II this year. But it goes through it goes through five conclusions and most listeners of course will be familiar with the typical identification exclusion and then some version of inconclusive. Whereas this document is going to change inconclusive a little bit, and uh, I'm sure we'll we'll dig into that. But it goes through some terms and definitions, uh, and then gets into these definitions of the five different conclusions. So yeah, Eric, why don't we um, why don't we at least just explain what the conclusions are, and then give a quick little summary here?
0: Sure. Uh, let's see. In order of the document, it is uh, source exclusion. Mm-hmm. Then support for different sources, right? inconclusive slash lacking support, support for same source is number four, and then the top number five is source identification.
1: I think the expansion here is first changing inconclusive. In the past, and Swigfast had a previous draft that was out and and available, where inconclusive initially at one point under uh, approach one, really just meant I need better knowns. Right. But then at some point, it was expanded to say, well, it could also mean that you thought it was suitable for comparison, saw some agreement, but you couldn't quite make a conclusion. So due to limited information in the latent print, you know, latent print was inconclusive, or the reason was due to information in the latent print. But then in the last draft of things that we did at, at Swigfast, we expanded that to say, well... It's inconclusive but features in agreement and not quite enough to identify or features in disagreement and no correspondence but maybe not enough to exclude, maybe due to agency policy or various reasons. And I think, Eric, you even testified at one point in a case and had a hearing, right, a Daubert hearing on inconclusive with features in agreement?
0: Uh, Exactly. So uh – at the time at my agency, when I was still in Arizona, it was called Inconclusive with Similarities, and it was very similar. And even in the Daubert testimony, we used that that SWIGFAST definition uh, as uh, just kind of an example of how that was being used uh, in the field, where essentially the SWIGFAST definition was... Corresponding features are observed, but not sufficient to individualize. No substantive dissimilar features are observed. Alice Maceo, uh, Alice White now, wrote a paper describing this same kind of uh, decision uh, at their agency in Las Vegas. They called it could not be excluded, Uh, and that's very similar to the language that DNA uses. Uh, In Arizona, we decided to go with inconclusive but noting similarities between the the impressions, and just to expand a little bit on what you were saying there, while the approach one was very much yes inconclusive, basically only ever meant I need better knowns. You know, it, it, there were lots of other different versions of inconclusive, especially with approach two, where not only could it mean I see some stuff in agreement, but it's just not enough to call an ID. It could mean I see nothing in agreement, but it's just not enough to call an exclusion, Mm -hmm. or I see nothing in agreement, nothing really in disagreement, it's just plain, I have no idea, I just don't know, just plain old middle of the road, I have no... Evidence to lean me one way or the other. I am inconclusive.
1: And, and and on top of that, it could also have meant I see some in agreement and I see some in disagreement, but right. not enough. They effectively balance each other out, which is another right. version of inconclusive.
0: And I'm I'm actually really excited. the The longer that this draft has been out, the more excited I am for it to finally be approved. And I hope it goes through, you know, mainly in in its current format, uh, because I definitely think there's. There's a lot here to benefit our community yeah. uh, in, in how we testify and how we define things.
1: I, I agree, and we'll, we'll dig into that in a minute. So I think one of the temptations – and I know I had this, and I I definitely made this mistake. One of the temptations is when you read this document and go, oh, okay." So instead of saying inconclusive with features in agreement or inconclusive with features in disagreement, they're just now saying support for different sources or support for the same source, that those are equivalent. And I made that mistake at first, and it's not exactly true. They're not exactly – there are some consequences of this document that changed things a little bit, and one of the things that um, we have to realize is that inconclusive now would only mean middle of the road. It only means it, – it literally means uninformative, that you've got these two hypotheses, and the document talks quite a bit about these propositions. They're either from the same source or different source, and you either have support one way. Or the other, and if there's any, think, if you think of a scale, there's any tilt one way or the other. Even if it's a tiny little bit of tilt towards same source or different source, then that becomes support for same source or different source. As long as the scale is balanced in the middle, then that is only when you would use inconclusive, or that you need additional knowns, or that you were unable to complete right. the examination.
0: And and uh, I think it's also helpful to think of uh, just another kind of analogy for this it's not just that scale where you have ID on one side exclusion on the other so inconclusive is this exact middle balancing point but instead to think of it as two separate scales where the first one is balancing between inconclusive you know I can't really say anything and ID and the second one is balancing between inconclusive I can't say anything and exclusion because there's different types of information that go into those two ID or exclusion decisions. You know, Having really discriminating, unique features is what's important for ID, but having reproducible, reliable, I know where I'm looking, where I should be looking features are what make you more confident in an exclusion decision. So for me, I view it as more of those two scales where as long as both of them are tilted Towards the, it's not enough to lean towards um, uh, ID or exclusion. Then I'm in this. It doesn't sup- provide a sufficient degree of support for one proposition over the other. Again, any analogy falls apart when you look at it too closely. But that's that's the way I prefer to look at it. Is I, I don't uh, I I don't think uh, having inconclusive in the exact middle of this balancing scale. It, works out uh entirely for for what we do
1: yeah I, I know what you're getting at and i i think that will be that will be something that will make more sense to people down the road as they get to use it that the idea of it as a single balance is probably oversimplified but might need to be oversimplified at the beginning
0: right right or if you're explaining it to jurors oh well that's that's, that's yeah i can see that as well you know, for the most part, the well, let's 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 just let me let me read out here what the uh, the OSAC definition for inconclusive is. First, it's inconclusive slash lacking support is it's how the the term is defined, and that is the conclusion that the observations do not provide a sufficient degree of support for one proposition over the other. Um, and also, any use of this conclusion shall shall include a statement of factors limiting a stronger conclusion. So basically, if the reason that you're here and inconclusive is that you need better knowns, well, you got to say you need better knowns. If it's because the latent print lacks an anchor point, core delta, or then you got to say that this is why I'm inconclusive. Or if it's because I did this comparison and turns out the latent print itself is just low in quantity and quality of information, all right, then you state that. Just whatever the reason is that you're here, that you you started the comparison, you went through analysis, comparison, here in evaluation, you say inconclusive, this is the reason why.
1: All right. Well, the next thing I wanted to talk about goes along a little bit with what I was just talking about, how they're not a perfect analogy to one another between inconclusive features and agreement and, you know either support or an identification. And this was something in talking to some of the OSAC members. I, I hadn't quite caught this distinction, but it really comes out in the definition, and I think it's best to read the definition of identification at this point. Okay. Source identification is the strongest degree of association between two friction ridge impressions. And I, and I like, I like that, that that's pretty clear. Yeah, It is the conclusion that the observations provide, and here's the catch provide extremely strong support for the proposition that the impressions originated from the same source and extremely weak support for the proposition that the impressions came from different sources all right so let's stop right there in the past i know that i would sometimes and i use a scale of support i i have this you know four point scale of limited support moderate support When you start getting to strong support that's very close, hovering around an ID, an extremely strong support would usually be an obvious identification. But it would be possible from time to time I could have an extremely strong support that would usually be an ID, but every now and then I could have a strong support that would just sort of barely cross the line into identification. And I felt okay with that, that knowing that it was right there on the margins. What this says is that Generally, those that kind of fall right on the line that you hovered around and you gave to someone and the verifier said, nah, I don't know if there's enough there to call it. Like that kind of impression means that it's probably support for same source now as opposed to a straightforward, extremely strong support identifications. And it, in other words, it, it's shifting the decision threshold a little bit. To the right, if you will, requiring a little bit more clear and convincing evidence that this is from the same source. And my understanding is that they – this was a hard-fought battle, that, that there was such concern from various groups that were reviewing these documents about the word identification at all that this was – The compromise that it would be used in cases where you had a lot of information, what you might call a zone C non complex latent print, or a 10 print, or a fully rolled fingerprint, that you were using identification in basically clear cut, convincing, unambiguous cases, and anything that might have been a little more borderline in the past might now fall under support for same source. And I didn't quite catch that initially. Uh, But when it was pointed out to me, and again, some of the history in the document that they didn't think identification would would even fly through some of the approval committees, this was the compromise.
0: Hmm. And again, I was involved in writing some of the the kind of early draft versions of this five-conclusion scale, but uh, wasn't, was out around the time when it was going through those committees. Mm -hmm. For, For me, just reading through at its face I'm not quite sure that that meaning is fully conveyed because for me, every identification I have ever reached, in my mind, has the observations provided extremely strong support that it was an ID mm-hmm. uh, uh, for the same source rather than different source. The instances where I've used support for same source or you know essentially that same conclusion but with different language at the time, I had... Moderate to strong support, uh, usually strong support. When I used that determination or that conclusion uh, for a comparison, again, the, this is just how, how I viewed my work in the past uh, and, and even currently. Even if I'm in Zone B, which is the that's the borderline complex zone, right? Right. Uh, on the the Swigfast uh, scale. For me, that is still in the extremely strong support category. So if that's what they meant here, I don't think that was necessarily conveyed through.
1: I'm with you. I missed it the first time through as well. And maybe that's just a couple of people's interpretation of this. But my sense is, and I'm really looking down the road, once we start having statistical models where you can actually sort of begin to estimate if it's... Strong or extremely strong, and you've got some way to quantify that, which um, and I'll talk about a little bit later. I'm currently doing. Right, this actually makes a difference. I mean, this this kind of says, ah, this thing here that some experts may disagree on and might not necessarily have full consensus. This may not any longer be called an ID. This might actually just be interesting. Strong support for same source. In the end, I really don't think it's going to matter to jury. I really don't think, you know, and we've talked about this before. We we get so worried about what we call these things. I don't know that it'll be that big of a deal, but I, I do think that there could be some consequences by making identification now equivalent to just extremely
0: strong support. Uh, essentially,. This source identification extremely strong support is the twelve or more points of the low card tripartite mm, rule mm. where support for same source is the eight to twelve range under tripartite
1: yeah kind i mean yeah exactly however you want to think about that that that's a nice you that's a nice callback yes
0: so for again for me I, I the way I would interpret this and the way um I operate is. Again, translating it to the tripartite rule, twelve plus is a is an ID. Sure, that's still you know extremely strong support. And then in the the second part of the tripartite, eight to twelve is basically, in other words, still a strong ID as long as you have other information maybe to go along with it that it's specific. You have third level, you have core delta. You know he lists. Locard lists off all sorts of things that kind of go, can, can go along with it. Um, and then below 8, he lists as probabilistic, which in my mind then would translate in this scale to the support for same source.
1: Yeah. I, I think once and if this becomes adopted and becomes a standard, it'll be interesting to see how it's actually applied and how agencies interpret it. And I really do think that not much will actually change. I mean, I, I'm with you. That oh, no. Not much will change initially, but the consequences if a model gets involved later, depending on where you count your – where you quantify extremely strong versus strong, and I have some very, if you will – no pun intended, strong, strong and extremely strong thoughts on <laughs> where that might be uh, for for some some various reasons that you can find in chapter two of Christoph Shampo's book, uh, you know, the uh, Friction Ridge Impressions book that uh, right. he and some other authors wrote in chapter two. Uh, he outlines exactly a process of a verbal likelihood ratio scale and what numbers they map to. And I completely agree with his thought process in that book. So... Right. We'll see where that goes, but for now I'm content to say, let's just move in this direction, let's use this and i and as I'll talk about it in a little bit here i have already abandoned using inconclusive with features in agreement. Uh, it was hard the first couple of reports uh that it, that was tough to to take that away because I've been using it for so long. Right. And now that I've, I'm using support for the same source, it, it feels quite right. And that what I like about it is, I think they really got the definition of inconclusive correct. Inconclusive was always meant to be in the middle, uninformative, that it doesn't give, that the balance, the net balance, is near or close to zero. And I, and I think that by removing inconclusive features in agreement, we're,
0: I, I think we're in the right direction of, of language. Right, right. Well, before we move on to that, that section, I want to do the second half of the source identification mm-hmm. definition because there is a second half here. And that's uh, source identification is reached when the friction ridge impressions have corresponding ridge detail and the examiner would not expect to see the same arrangement of details repeated in an impression that came from a different source. So this really kind of throws in that we're, we're not yet to the, you know, w- we can get a a, um, uh, a number from some sort of model uh, as as. You know, the way to calculate this, there still is the human interpretation of, you know, you have to not expect this to uh, to duplicate in another impression. And and that is another part of that definition for identification.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's a good definition. I have one small criticism that I would have offered. Uh, I would, and my my reports have it. Uh, Friction right. ridge impressions have corresponding discriminating ridge detail, and and I think right. that discriminating is important because what again the, you know, some listeners might. Realize By saying correspondence and discriminating, you have now actually invoked an actual likelihood ratio because the likelihood ratio has two components. The first part is correspondence, how similar do these two things look, and then discriminating, uh, how rare are these characteristics, how um, discriminating are they. By having that in there, I like that. I think they kind of capture it in the second part and the examiner would not expect to, but that's really describing – That's sort of describing the extent and certainty that they need to have before calling an identification.
0: Again, before moving to the other definitions of the other four uh, conclusions, that really this source identification decision comes with a series of shall nots. Yes. uh, That's at the bottom of the document. And that's, let's see, I'm going to go through the, not in order here, because uh, some of these are, are, have been discussed and decided long ago. We don't really need to talk about them so much. So an examiner basically shall not state or assert... Uh, Exclusion of all other sources.
1: Except I was just at a conference uh, a couple weeks ago and heard several people saying, and some fairly well-known examiners who shall not be named at the moment, uh, saying that, no, no, I still testify to the exclusion of all others, and I can defend it because in science you have objective, observable data that supports that (laughs) And so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. So Sorry. yes, no. Um, I, again, said at a conference, and several people nodding and agreeing and saying, "Yes, I'm going to say that same thing too." But again, as we've said before, why you can't because of the ag- definition of exclusion.
0: Again, again, if if you want to say that, um, heck, eliminate all other sources due to this logical argument that some examiners make. I have less issue with that. It's still a little problematic, but I have less issue with that. But the word exclusion, we've defined it to mean the specific thing that happens in a single comparison of a latent print to an individual's friction ridge detail. That is an exclusion. Uh, You can't reach exclusion unless you do that work. It can't be logically deduced. Um. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and and I like that it can't be eliminated. I also would even throw in would not expect to see that amount of agreement in all other sources. I could even get behind some of that. But uh, as some people have pointed out, some critics of that is, well, do you continue to test that by comparing other people? So if you make an ID to the first subject in the case, do you test that proposition that – no other person in this case would be expected to have that amount of agreement by actually comparing them. I, I, I think that's a legitimately difficult question to have to deal with.
0: That's true. Uh, so, uh, other ones, examiner shall not state or assert uh, absolute certainty. I'm 100% certain in this identification. There's a zero error rate for the identification that I just made.
1: Hey, um, every now and then I hear someone say that examiners should not at all you know state any level of certainty do you agree with that because i know that i'm pretty comfortable saying to a high level of certainty i can't quantify exactly what what that is but to a high level of of certainty i mean do you do you have any problem at all with saying anything about certainty
0: i i I just don't like the question as something that i just i have no way to calculate Mm -hmm. um so if i 'm asked what is your level of certainty uh, you know of your identification in my head i 'm thinking like what you, like, i don 't know like what percent tired am i like i 'm not in an rpg i don 't have my hit point <laughs> stat calculated nice. like, i, I, I can 't calculate this you yeah, nerd alert okay what I generally come back to is the decision that i I, I reached the identification decision and confident in my uh, you know, ability to to reach that decision, uh, especially with the quality assurance procedures that I work under at my uh, current laboratory or something along those lines Yeah. where, uh, I, I don't know, maybe it, it's wrong of me to do so, but I'm kind of a fan of taking a stupid question from court, restating it as a better question, and then answering that better question. Mm-hmm. It hasn't gotten me in trouble yet. I'm sure it will eventually. Well, who knows? I I don't currently work in a place where I need to testify uh, except for, you know, occasional private work where who knows when that will come up. But I I generally stay away from the level of certainty and then – and if pressed, fall back to just a flat, I'm confident uh, in the decision that I reached, you know, um, without expressing a level. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense?
1: No, it, it, it does. Yeah. i was just curious your your views on that.
0: Sure. Also, shall not uh, use the term reasonable degree of scientific certainty. We've talked about this before. How that's just kind of a made up s- a phrase that means nothing, um, and, and and that's being phased out in lots of other disciplines as well. Um, that uh, you you can't say that. Uh, You can't try to imply some sort of personal accuracy based on the number of previous comparisons you've done. So you can't say, well, you know, I've compared thousands of prints, (laughs) which means and have never made a mistake in that time frame, which means I've never made a, mis- I didn't make a mistake in this case.
1: Yeah, I wish people said thousands because unfortunately, I run across millions. and once had if any of my FBI examiners are listening to me, they'll remember this event. Once had an old FBI examiner chastised me after telling me that he had compared 150 million fingerprints in his 30 year career.
0: I, I, I might be able to see that for a 10 print examiner. Well, he he definitely worked temperance in his early career. Okay,
1: if you consider that a comparison.
0: Okay, uh, and and each finger to each other, each latent to each finger on a temperance card. Yeah, I it's still think it's like like you're suggesting an overestimation. And but if if they ask you about how many comparisons you've done, that's one thing. Here, what they're really specifying is you can't try to imply that because you, you're you not aware of any mistakes in a huge number of comparisons in the past, that that somehow relates to your accuracy in this case. Uh, that's the problematic thing. Yeah, with no ground truth. Right. Because you have no ground truth, but also past performance does not mean a whole lot to performance in this case it's it, uh... Mm, uh yeah I've, I've always struggled
1: with that a little bit i i i used to believe that too mm, that's a topic for another day i think okay <laughs> yeah um it, it... because if that were the if if that were the case then the Patriots have just an equal chance as the Browns at the beginning of this season <laughs> to make it to the Super Bowl. That the Browns and the, and the Cleveland Browns and the New England Patriots are equivalent.
0: Oh, in no, making no, no, no. What, what, the way I'm reading this is, is saying, well, the Patriots won last year, so they are guaranteed to win this year. Ah, not guaranteed. You can't say that.
1: But there is definitely a different probability. It, oh, absolutely. It, well, uh, but, right, okay. So that's, but that's what, the distinction. I,
0: what the way I'm reading this is is to to imply a, a personal accuracy based on past performance um, for for th- you know for this specific case. Sure. Um, okay. All right.
1: That's that's fair. I, I I think we can land on a more Bayesian
0: middle ground. True. Uh, the last one, and it's actually the first one on this list, but I, I saved it for last because I think it it generates the most conversation from examiners. And so uh, let me just read this one word for word instead of just uh, just doing the, the general gist like I did for the other uh, few. Uh, an examiner shall not assert that a source identification is the conclusion that two impressions were made by the same source or imply an individualization to the exclusion of all other sources. So this is, again, part of it is the exclusion of all others, but the first half is the part that Really catches people's eye. Yes. Do not assert that identification means two impressions were made by the same source. People will read that and go, whoa, 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 timeout. Didn't I just read that that is the exact definition of identification? And no, there is a subtle difference. The difference being that identification is this conclusion that you've reached the opinion of the examiner a conclusion that you reach upon observing the data providing you know strong support for this proposition over the other one reached when you have corresponding ridge detail you would not expect to see in another uh, um, arrangement it's not saying this print equals this print right it's saying the conclusion i reached in comparing these two prints is identification And that may may be a subtle difference to some people, but it is really important. And
1: my conclusion is there is extremely strong support that they came from the same source. But that is not the same thing as these came from the same source. Right. Right. Important, but subtle difference. Right. Um, This is for the... um, the A students in the class, uh, one, uh, the, the support for extremely strong support, your conclusion that extremely strong support for same source is the likelihood ratio. The determination that they have come from the same source is a posterior probability. Nerd alert, nerd alert. Right. <laughs> but I mean, if anyone understands that that, right. that distinction, what we are saying is back up, let's no longer go to the... It is my opinion that he made that or that they are one and the same. It is my opinion that when comparing the evidence in this comparison, uh, the evidence much more strongly supports that they are from the same person than they do not or they come from different people. And that's what we're asking examiners to kind of fall back and focus on.
0: And I know there's going to be examiners out there, even hopefully they're even listening uh, to the podcast here, that are – that don't feel comfortable with this propositional wording, right? Of talking about support for this proposition, support for that proposition. I think a baby step in this direction to to start moving this direction to still really follow in line with the definition here without going afoul of this limitation is to no longer say, uh, this latent was made by uh, mm-hmm. the same finger that made this known, but to at least change the wording around a little bit to say, my conclusion is that they came from the same source, and, and even that subtle kind of comeback of instead of saying it is from the same source in or versus you know I reached this conclusion of identification. Is 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 beginning to make this change and i think that maybe is a first step into getting used to a, a new way of testifying. Glenn do you think is that a is that a fair first step for people that are I would
1: i would just jump in the pool because it's still <laughs> it's still a posterior that's being given. If you say okay. my conclusion is they're from the same source. Just it's all right so as someone who is currently using this language I've right. been using it for about a year ish or so, I think, uh, in my report. Uh, maybe not a year, but at least the last six months. I've been using it in my reports. Uh, I've been presenting on it, and in fact, we'll get into this discussion. I'm going to court uh, tomorrow, and we'll be talking about this in court. And I, I really don't think it's that difficult, and I don't think jurors care at all. There, there's actually That's a, true. there's a graph. That I think we'll probably put up with this episode, and we'll put it up on. Um, well, for sure, I'll put it up on the the sponsored content for our Patreon sponsors, and okay. and I'll I'll go a step further. I'll even put a copy of my reports, like a, a redacted copy, uh, for for listeners on that sponsored content. They can they can see how it how it plays on in the report. I think when you look at a graphic picture of this, and to me that's always been the key. Handwriting got it right from the beginning, Uh, footwear was getting it right. In your reports, you have to you have to show the scale of your conclusions, and you have to show it. And I think you have to see all of them together and where they land on the scale, and then I think everyone can understand. Oh, that's what this means. It's not quite this. That's not quite that. Or an identification is over here, but an exclusion is over there, and inconclusives is in the middle. I I think when you see it, and I use like an arrow, and I use some other graphs, gra- graphics. When you see all the conclusions together, which is what handwriting used to do, then it. It's much easier to grasp what the person is trying to say when they're trying to express a weight of evidence because if you're not an expert in that field, it's all about relative magnitude. And if you can see what the other ones are and where this falls on a scale – and without telling you anything, Eric, if I told you on a scale of 0 to 10, uh, my pain is a 4 – that gives you some, you have no idea of what is painful or what's hurting or what I might be expressing, but it now gives you some relative, well, he's not at a 10, he's not at a zero, he's at a four. It gives you something to gravitate towards.
0: Well, that's a pretty good estimation, actually, for my ankle right now. So, oh, you're uh, at a four. Good job. Well, stop, yeah, your, good, yeah. stop
1: your whining then, you baby. <laughs> Talk to me when it's a nine and a half.
0: There you go. Okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> but but I mean, but yeah, and that's exactly it. You tell me it's a four, right? Now I have some sense of what that means to you.
0: Oh no, I, I get it. And and I guess I was trying. What I was trying to say is, we need to definitely move away from saying, you know, this latent came from this guy. Uh, that's that's one of the points that this document is trying to do is to come away from from that statement, which is which does sound. Like stating a certainty, which is not what we 're doing we 're reaching a conclusion of identification, which is different than stating this latent came from that guy all right so we 're going to jump for all the way from ID and we, you know, we, let's see we 're kind of jumping around here, but that 's okay. We started with inconclusive in the middle, talked about that a little bit. we did id let 's jump all the way down to source exclusion, which is defined source exclusion is the conclusion that two friction-ridge impressions did not originate from the same source. Uh, second paragraph, uh, source exclusion is reached when, in the examiner's opinion, considering the observed data, the probability that the two impressions came from the same source is considered negligible.
1: Yes. I don't like this definition, <laughs> and I've got some problems with it. I'm curious what you thought.
0: I, it's, It's better than it used to be. If I remember correctly, it used to just be the first sentence, mm-hmm. which I, I thought was not enough. And from a first draft, um, this got worked on and finalized when I had stepped away from OSAC for a little bit before coming back as an affiliate member. And and yes, I would have liked to have seen this expanded a little bit as well. It's a committee so you kind of look at at it sometimes compared to what it used to be and think, oh, it's better than it used yeah, to be. I I understand, been there.
1: Yeah, I think my biggest feeling with this is something I I can't remember if I've expressed this on air or not before, but this is something I heard statisticians at OSAC say: is Oh, no, no, you can have a, a you know you can have a full on hundred percent exclusion. That's no problem. You just can't do that with identification. And I. I never quite understood that because to me it should be it's extremely strong support for different exactly. source and you know extremely um, you know, weak support that they came from the same source. Uh, the idea that – I don't see how it's any different than the identification posterior snap decision. Okay, they're from the same source versus, okay, they're from different sources. But it seems that you're allowed to do that. And, and the, the examples I've heard are, well, it's an arch pattern versus a loop pattern.
0: Yeah. Arch versus world. Right. Exactly.
1: But isn't that still just really, 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 really strong evidence they're from different sources. Just like having a hundred and fifty minutiae agreement, why can't I just kind of shortcut to an ID at that point? Right. Right.
0: Uh, yeah. I don't I don't think we've had this discussion before. Oh. Because okay. I have I have been trying to make that exact point. For a number of years now, and and uh, can't, I can't remember really someone kind of understanding what I've been trying to say. So I, I don't think we, we've had actually just okay. the two of us had this discussion before because I could not agree more. And in in again teaching a lot about exclusions being like the main thing that I teach about, what I try to impress upon is this week it really you know I just kind of went through it all. Is is you look at. The levels of support. Again, from the Cedric Newman paper, just common sense from latent print examiners, when you have more points, you are in general more confident of an identification, right? Well, yeah, and the chance of error is less because blah, blah, blah. In general, I mean, it, points aren't the only thing, but they are the main thing. And yeah, a really solid 10 could be better than a really generic 15, but in general, I'd rather have 30 than 10.
1: Sure. And, and if you have 50 or 100 or Even all better. 10 fingers, why couldn't one say they are from the same person at that? I mean if you can snap to it for the exclusion, why can't you snap to it at some point for, the, you know, for a crazy, ridiculous, indisputable identification?
0: So, in a similar fashion, that's the, the, the kind of translation that I tried to make to people because late print examiners are very familiar with this concept for identification. So, then translating that onto exclusion, there are things about comparisons that make exclusions, make you feel more confident about exclusions. But it's not the number of points. It's other things, other information in the print. Yeah. The main thing being the presence of a core delta. That gives you a Much higher level of confidence in an exclusion than if you didn't have those things. Yeah. Even still, people still make mistakes as we've seen, even much more than with identification. Even having those high levels of confidence with the course or deltas, still make uh, erroneous exclusions because they overlooked the similarities for one reason or another. And if even even not just logically, like you're, you were stating just now, why exclusion should have this same kind of, you know, weight of extremely strong support versus extremely weak support? But with the data we have out there demonstrating that we suck at exclusions, uh, you know, shouldn't that really be the, you know, a reason to write it in a very similar fashion to identification? Yeah. Uh, but people that uh, you know are involved in in you know, really involved in in writing this just just don't agree
1: yeah, and it's surprising to me because i mean i'm thinking of two statisticians in particular who are like no no it's it's different it's different for exclusions and i never really got a clear answer on why it was different for exclusion i mean what they just basically said is they just kind of repeated no no when you've got pattern type in these things because they can't even be associated in the same class you can just altogether exclude them Like, well, that doesn't quite explain that to me. I just, I would call that extremely strong support if they're not in the same class. And you're going a step further. You're also making this assumption that it can't be some crazy distortion and a bunch of other assumptions.
0: Exactly. I think that's exactly the thing is they don't understand that assigning it to a class and then the class is being different. that, That assignment has a fairly high risk of error. Yes. We've got plenty of examples to demonstrate that.
1: Yeah, and they, they even gave an example like, well, yeah, I mean, if you've got, you know, a, a 40 caliber, uh, you know, cartridge, you know, there's no way it could have been fired in a twenty-two. It's impossible. And I thought, well, okay. And then I started thinking about it. Yeah, well, all right. Maybe in those circumstances where the class characteristics are such that something is physically impossible, you're effectively setting your prior at zero, Well, okay, Um, then – I mean by that logic then, if someone was dead, then I wouldn't even have to do a comparison. If they they weren't alive at the time of the crime, I would never have to do a comparison because you could then assign it as a zero prior and then say, well, it's impossible to have been his fingerprint because he wasn't even alive at the time. Okay, I I can go with that because that kind of fits that argument. But otherwise, if the person could be a source of it, I don't see how you can ever just always jump to – they are not the source of it. If you've got the same requirements on the identification side. I'm very confused by that one. I was surprised they're willing to give a pass. My suspicion is nobody gives a shit because you're not going to court on exclusions.
0: Right, because it's an exclusion and no one gives a f- Right. It could help to, to look at some research. If uh, firearms examiners literally never make a mistake of looking at a 45 and mistakenly calling it a 22 or actually maybe the other way around looking at what actually is ground truth a 22 slug and calling it a 45 if they literally good point never make that mistake okay fine granted for that circumstance you can use this type of language but we can't say that we suck at <laughs> at exclusions And we have nowhere near the accuracy rate in making those uh, category uh, assignments to be able to back up this kind of definition. There's the second half here saying there is a possibility that they're considering negligible. I I kind of see this as... So remember back at the SWIGFAST document, how we came out of a very 100% zero error rate mindset into that first draft with swigfast saying that the the chance of an for an ID is negligible yeah this seems to me the same kind of thing this is <laughs> the first baby steps out of hey no chance we're gonna make a mistake on uh, exclusions um, so so maybe over time this is the first step and it'll evolve into something that that more fits with the ID side of things and uh, what we're seeing from the research. Hmm. Okay. Jumping back over to the other, other side of things, support for same source. Yes. Uh, support for same source is the conclusion that the observations provide more support for the proposition that the impressions originated from the same source rather than different sources. However, there's insufficient support for a source identification. The degree of support may range from limited to strong or similar descriptors. Uh, of the degree of support any use of this conclusion shall include a statement of the degree of support and the factors limiting a stronger conclusion i'm fairly happy with with how this turned out
1: oh i love this one
0: yeah this one yes yeah. i this one i'm on i'm on board with well okay so i'm I'm really happy first off that it moved into its own category it's no longer part of inconclusive it right. is its own thing yeah now Going back and reviewing the the Daubert case that I testified in a few years back, we, we may have to do this again because the language in that Dobbert hearing was very much "this is okay." This whole, uh, at the time, inconclusive with similarities, mean, meaning the same thing, support for same source. It's it's like a almost an ID, yeah. however you want to call that. But one of the main arguments in getting this approved in that Dobbert hearing was it's a version of inconclusive. So now that it's no longer a version of inconclusive, uh, that Dobbert hearing may not hold the, uh, the same weight that it, it did when it was a part of inconclusive. Hmm. Uh, other than that, which, which is fine, and I, again, I still think that's, it's, fine that it's best that we move out of that range, but uh, that's, that's just a, a, an observation from, from where we've come from. Whether it was the word
1: inconclusive or not, I, I suspect that the spirit of it was this is not definitive. This is not the examiner winking and saying, oh, it, it's him. I just can't say it is. I, those are generally more the concerns of the attorney as opposed to whether or not they're using the word inconclusive or support or whatever. It's they just, They want to know where on the scale this is and is it reasonable that it could actually be someone else's print.
0: Oh, no, no, I get that. But the judge's words in the decision were there are – Three accepted conclusions in latent prints; those being uh, ID, exclusion, and inconclusive. This is a version of inconclusive, therefore, it's okay. Aha, uh-huh,
1: gotcha. Yeah, Got- I, I now I understand.
0: Not that it's you know terribly a problem, but it's just it, when this comes up again in court, there could be an argument to let's re-Daubert this. Or the previous Dobert decision in Arizona doesn't necessarily apply 100%. Yeah, yeah, I see. It's, it's, a, it's a minor thing, but I still prefer this and moving in this direction. And then we just have to kind of get the courts to come along with us Um it sounds like the judge was more holding you to
1: the standards of the
0: profession. So if, exactly. this, be-
1: if this becomes a new standard for the profession, then it shouldn't really it shouldn't be an issue.
0: Exactly. No, no, I, I totally agree. It, it's. Uh, but it, I did want to mention that that little you know thing from the from history here. You know, overall, I love how this fra- is phrased. I love that it's separate from inconclusive. Now, I want to encourage more and more agencies to develop this as an option, and just a couple of pointers. If you haven't done this before and you're thinking about putting in support for same source as a possible conclusion, first off, don't use this as an everyday thing. In my view, there are a fairly small number of comparisons that exactly fit into this category. I would start off small with just those point, those, those comparisons where you just need like maybe one or two more points for it would be a full ID. And also to have it as an option in the protocols, but not to at least initially have this as a requirement for every examiner. Uh, that worked really well for us in Arizona. In the examiners comfortable with this conclusion and testifying to this, can use this. The examiners that aren't comfortable yet with it don't have to, you know, put latents into this category. Eventually, They kind of see the benefits of it and jump on, and you didn't have to kind of go through that fight of, no, no, you're going to do this now. You're going to use this conclusion now. Having it as an option that you can start using when you are ready for it uh, worked out.
1: I I like that suggestion, although I want to go back to that first one because something about that didn't quite sit right, but I think it's because, did you mean by that first one don't use it as an everyday thing? Only to manage the volume of work, so use it uh, wisely as a utility when it would be appropriate. Uh, just a ma- or otherwise you'll end up having to compare every impression and landing on. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. No, you didn't mean it that way.
0: It's yeah. That's no. you I see what you're coming from. It's. It's that usually when you're in that zone, if during. Uh, analysis if you deem a print to be no value for identification because they're just not enough to compare then a lot of the times you won't end up at this conclusion because you didn't compare it to begin with agreed so yeah there is a bit of that but just in general what generally gets compared in a working crime lab are prints that end up as a full id or
1: Well, uh, okay. So that this is this is the scenario. Suppose you claim something of value for exclusion only—one you know wouldn't be identified—but then you do find similarities. Now you got four or five matching features and a pattern type, and that's it. That's all you got. I mean, that to me might be moderate support for same source.
0: No, no, and it depends on what lab you're working in. There are okay. some labs that that compare those. In general, most labs I would recommend if you label a print a value for exclusion only. In general, don't compare those in most cases, because there's just there's just too much. You're just not gonna get through all those comparisons. But label them as existing in the case so that they yeah. can be revisited uh, later on if that is, be, is you know deemed necessary but from from just my work in general just beyond just a lab perspective just personally i would use that support for same source decision in just general comparisons working in a you know working crime lab mm, two three times a year this, this wasn't a common <laughs> conclusion for me.
1: Wow, okay. I use it a lot more frequently, and I, I think what I took you to mean is that as long as you're kind of going about and you're claiming things you think you might be able to identify, most of the times you'll probably land in there, and every now and then you, might la- you land in an identification, but every now and then you might land in support for same source. I, I'm finding in the nature of my casework. Maybe I get more complex yeah, or maybe. disputed cases. I don't know, but in the nature of my cases, actually I'm... F- uh, this comes up quite a bit and okay. and when i work with a, another verifier who believes that identification is now meaning to be extremely strong support uh, uh. Uh, you're actually getting more you you will get more of these it's a conse- it's one of those consequences of moving the threshold to extremely strong support if in the past I I heard what you said earlier. All all of yours were always extremely strong support, even if category B. I don't know that everyone felt that way.
0: No, I, I get that. And for me, this category support for same source, and that it, it's it's a just a philosophical you know disagreement about what this means. For me, when and we did this knowingly in Arizona when we added this not this wording, but this type of conclusion in, we knowingly had this discussion and went in saying, all right, our current line for what's an ID is going to stay in the exact same place. We're not moving that line. What's currently an ID is going to be in the future an ID. However, those couple comparisons just on the, you know, left-hand side, just on the, just on the, you know, not quite enough side of that line we're gonna now say this for. We're not going to, you know, bump up the ID line. And now all this stuff that used to be an ID uh, with eight or nine or ten points is going to be this new uh, support for same source conclusion. All right. All right. Um, so again, this is, and this is you know going to end up being a thing that that you know our field discusses and figures out uh, over time. Again, from that's just my perspective of of the. When we implemented this at the agency I used to work for, what I felt worked really well for implementing it was was not moving that line and just adding in a few more comparisons uh, into it. You know that may not be what works for uh, other agencies or what's going to work for the field as a whole. Yeah. All right, last one, Glenn. <laughs> and and I've been talking more and more about this because. Uh, I've had a whole lot of time to to ruminate on support for different sources. Hmm. Uh, Support for different sources is the conclusion that the observations provide more support for the proposition that the impression originated from different sources rather than the same source. However, there's insufficient support for source exclusion. Uh, The degree of support may range from limited to strong or similar descriptors of the degree of support. Any use of this conclusion shall include statement to of the degree of support and the factors limiting a stronger conclusion.
1: Yeah. Mirror so, image of the other
0: one. Exact mirror image. Which a couple things here. First off, you notice that the exclusion identification were not mirror images of each Correct. other. Correct. Yeah. But this one is. Yes. And I think there's a very, very good reason for that. It's because no one asked for this decision and no one is using it. Hmm. As 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 far as i know when uh, when this document was written at least and who knows what's changed in the past uh, year the reason it got put in was almost entirely to balance out the scale so that there is this side of things which where there is the same on the identification side and as far as i know there's no lab that has implemented this and has a definition of when to use this decision and I think, and here's again the reason why I think that is, we all have this idea in our head. We've all been trained. We've all discussed over decades and in the century now, what an ID, an ID is. And we all know more or less what almost an ID is because of all of that discussion. However, what an exclusion is, is still a bit nebulous, and the field is still working through the in practice what is sufficient for an exclusion. Therefore, what is almost an exclusion is even less defined and less you know uh, ready to be to be used. I think that this conclusion really has an opportunity for us to use. And I'll talk about that here in just a second. I want to get your your initial thoughts of. Uh, of all that and, and if your impressions are the same.
1: Oh, no, t- uh, totally. I totally agree with you. And I, I think we're going to get to it in a minute. I suspect we have the same idea of examples that would meet that because they come to mind pretty readily. I have used it before and, uh, again, thought it was appropriate for, for those cases. I'd like your uh, your thought on that history and why it's the one question I often get, what does that even mean? And when they look at this, this everyone can understand all five of them, but this is the one they come back to. But I have a couple of examples I'm sure you probably have at the ready. I throw them out and they go, oh, yeah, okay, well, that makes sense. Now that you say that as an example, yes, I could see using that.
0: You know, that's the word definition if you want to be all wordy about it. But practically, what, what could this mean? And for me... And I had this initial thought, and I've had let it ruminate and ruminate, ruminate for over a year now, of how uh, could this be the way forward with this definition? And I really think this is the way. Uh, I think that in in practice, having a core delta to 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 hang your exclusion on makes a lot of sense in a practical manner in operations. And there is research out there to support. Uh, the increased accuracy slash increased confidence in an exclusion that has those features present in it. However, if you have this policy requiring a core delta to be present to reach that full exclusion, that full confidence, you know, hoo yeah, it's an exclusion, and you're just like, I looked everywhere and I really don't think it's him, but I don't have that same confidence level that I would if the latent had a core delta – I think this is the category for that comparison where you know, you know, it's not him, but I don't have that core delta, but I want to convey that different sourceness, but not to the same level that I would if I had the core delta present. Yep. That level of confidence, that level of sufficiency to support the exclusion. The more I think about it, the more this totally makes sense to me of this is an exclusion without a core delta.
1: Yeah, 100 uh, percent. That's the example I give. I just I just say to people, if you have a policy that requires you to have X, Y, and Z for your exclusions, and but you only have Y and or Z and don't have all, all three or whatever it might be in your agency, right. then, then it falls to this. You've done a comparison. You've compared what's present. You found no correspondence, but you were unable to exclude because of your policy stating you need X, Y, Z, therefore support for different sources.
0: And not just that, but you also have you have you have support for different sources, limited support for different sources, because you did this search, because you see differences in the areas that you have available, or you at least can't find similarities in the areas you have available.
1: Oh, you just said limited support, though. Assuming that you that you could have limited, moderate,
0: or strong within. Oh. Sorry limited I, I, what I meant there was was by limited was not extremely strong okay uh-huh. so okay so sorry, okay. sorry. Right. let me let me clarify that
1: Got it because I, I I will say that's the one thing I don't know is when it is limited, strong or moderate you know the three categories I don't know exactly what those differences are. I don't know how to separate out within this category. Support for different – so when I'm falling in here, I have a real hard time figuring out am I closer to, to the inconclusive line or closer to the exclusion. Right. Th- I think that one's tougher. I, 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 I don't know how to differentiate that within this one, whereas um, support for same source, no problem. That's straightforward to me.
0: And I think that goes back to the, just the history of our field where we've dedicated so much research, so much time, so much thought over 100 years – to the identification side of things, we're we're pretty brand new into exploring the the sufficiency scale, the sufficiency measurement yeah. for exclusions. That it, of course we don't know exactly how to to level to put this out. But I, you brought up a, a point that I really want to emphasize here for this one and for the support for same source, which is the degree of support can range from limited to strong. Yeah now may range so may. in other words yes. you may choose to say limited support moderate support strong support or you may choose to just leave that to not have those three differentiations you know as part of your policy uh, but just to to maybe assign one of them, but because uh, yeah. it has a couple different things here. It may range from limited to strong, but you shall include the degree of support yes what that may mean is that you your agency just goes with say strong or just moderate you know just as to pick one of them for one side or the for which either side, and then that 's the one you go with, and you don 't have you know because people are you know maybe reading this and going, wait a minute. If support for different sources, support for same sources isn't just one category each, but it is actually three categories each, then holy shit, we're in QD and we've got nine choices to choose from, which is what, you know, question documents has. And that, that may super overwhelm people. It does say that you can do that and you should describe exactly what that all means, but not that it's a prescriptive that you shall do this. In fact, the way you can, you can actually read this document to say, If your agency maybe isn't ready, depending on your coworkers, your management, the jurisdiction that you testify in, if they're not ready to use these support for different support for same sources, you don't have to. You can fully follow this document only using exclusion, inconclusive, and identification. Yeah, that's an important point. That's a very important point to say. This is not now requiring everyone to go out and use all five it's just saying if you choose to do support for one way or the other, and then also if you choose to even fully, even further separate out from there, this is how you do it. Not that you have to do uh, all of this at your agency.
1: Yep, that's a very important point. In fact, Henry Swafford made that at the IAI this year,
0: which when uh, when you were all uh, in a huff and bother. <laughs> yeah. Yes. True. <laughs> true. I. I Editing together that episode for uh, when we were at the IAI, that was uh, that was really fun. I it, just a a good flashback to uh, to that night and interviewing all those people. Yeah,
1: well, that's actually a nice segue. Real fast, I just yeah. want to talk about what I'm doing in casework. So I actually do have that nine point scale now, and uh, and again, I think if if uh, listeners go to the um, the Patreon uh, page, uh, if you log in with your Patreon uh, account. So if listeners log in with their Patreon account and go to the premium content that we offer for the podcast, uh, I'll I'll have at least an example and some images of using the scale and what what it looks like in a report. So a couple of things. One, my reports now have these definitions, and I think it's actually really important to have these definitions in the report. I know people like having nice short reports, but I think we're going to have to get used to the fact that as things get a little more complex, we're going to have to move in the same direction. Beauty was thirty years ago, and that trace <laughs> and footwear was twenty some years ago. By putting your scale of conclusions in the body of the report, in a boilerplate attached to every report, then it's there, and I think that will actually go a long way. Uh, you may even have to notify your customers of, of the upcoming change, and maybe even have a you know presentation or a phone call or whatever to describe what that means.
0: They they get the document. They got to figure it out from themselves. Yeah,
1: right. And and <laughs> okay. they're incapable of it. And they're going to go and arrest people from what we heard. Right, from. right with with the tank and the SWAT team. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I've been using these reports. Uh, right. They have not been have not they have not been that big of a deal. Attorneys have understood them just fine. I've had clients, defendants, understand them. Lay people understand them just fine.
0: Or if they don't ask you, and you can explain it. Yeah,
1: I mean, I I, I really think that. Having it in the report is what matters. Uh, if you right. don't put it in the report, you just have a conclusion, then I agree. that It invites confusion and, and misunderstanding about what you mean without seeing the choices, the range of choices you could report. Uh, so the, the case I'm working on right now that's going to tr- – or is actually in trial this week is a case where a local examiner had one conclusion. It was an identification. They said it was an ID. And he identified it. He had a verifier identify it. And it's pretty complex, pretty borderline in my opinion. And when I looked at it, I thought, well, this is actually just value for exclusion only. I never would have I never would have taken it even to identification levels. I just didn't think that it rose to that level of discrimination. Uh, right. it's, it's in a pattern forest area many of the features are either unclear or pattern forced and you're left with only a handful of actually random minutiae and characteristics so it's that right there is concerning to me and automatically kind of drops me lower and then in addition i ran it through a statistical model and got a very low number like if we're talking about limited support moderate support or strong support my initial gut reaction was it was moderate supports not even strong on the edge i was moderate from the get-go i run it through the model and got limited supports the model says no no even moderate is too too good for this but then i gave it to my verifier and that verifier then identified it saying that it's strong support But just barely crossing the line. Notice he said strong support, not extremely strong support. It just barely crossed the line. Then when we looked at each other's markings, I explained the pattern force thing. I showed examples of other fingerprints that had similar characteristics. He kind of backed off and went, no, you're kind of right. After looking at the additional data, I now think it is actually – well, I'm still staying with strong support, but – I would go support for for same source. So he actually changed his conclusion, which is a little controversial in the case, but he's at strong. So the model says limited, I said moderate, and the verifier said strong, so in the end I reported my opinion was it was moderate support for same source um, and certainly do, didn't rise to to the level of identification, yet they've got two examiners in their agency that say it's an ID. This is a normal thing that happens all the time during conflict resolution, and reasonable experts can disagree. I don't, I don't hold anything against them. I don't think anything – In fact, I I quite respect and know the examiner involved in this case and have zero issues with his competence and professionalism. But now I have a report that disagrees and says not enough for an ID, support for, for same source.
0: Right. All right. Now, uh, real yep. quick, just the exemplar compared in this case, uh, APHIS generated <laughs> or, um, uh. or uh, submitted from the uh, officer?
1: Yes, that was unclear. And in fact, an- yet another reason why initially, because there were APHIS printouts in the case. Uh, I didn't find out until yesterday or today during testimony that both, I guess a name was given. But it wasn't clear at what time the name was given, if he had already searched them in APHIS or not, or he was given the name, compared it, and then searched in APHIS. That was not clear at all. That was not clear in their procedures when they ran it through APHIS. But there was a named individual who could have been provided. So it's one of those where it's not clear how they first generated the name. Or if they had resolved it. That that's not clear. But that's a side issue for me because okay. because ultimately, take Aphis out. There was a name that was proposed and these characteristics did match. I
0: don't know. For me especially, especially when you're dealing with the Prince on that border, just with the way the math works, you know, yes. coming from the officer versus coming from Aphis, makes a huge difference. And would would you know knowing the answer to that and I you know, haven't seen this at all, but just a, a theoretical example along those lines of what you described. If it came from APHIS, may push me all the way to just flat, inconclusive, not even support for same source. Or if it's provided from the officer, all the way up to a full ID. Like the, that bit of information may flip me that far.
1: So you're, you're adjusting your posterior based on the potential prior whereas i mean the the likelihood ratio that the conclusion i'm trying to give is just that that whether it's his print or not whether it's whether or not he's truly the source i agree is is influenced by this information but if i'm just trying to assess the the likelihood ratio of it is it limited moderate strong or extremely strong i'm at moderate regardless of if it's Aphis or not but your point being taken is it is he the true source or not? Uh, I'm I'm, I'm going to pull back from that because I don't have all the facts, and, I, and it was not clear in testimony for for, okay. for for various reasons today. Not the examiner's fault, but because the, of the defense attorney. Right. The, the defense. Well, <laughs> the defense attorney is the defendant. <laughs> <laughs> and he. So is, he has uh, an idiot for a client. For a he, client. Right? Yes. <laughs> um, he has actually a really interesting case that could easily have been and there's some there's some really weak DNA and there's some in my view weak fingerprint evidence he had a good for a good case to challenge if he had just shut his mouth and let an attorney do the work for him, but he had fired four attorneys, and I guess he's uh, he's he has been belligerent he's been yelling at the judge. the judge has given him so much leeway i mean it's he has already convicted himself i mean that's that is clear, so whatever I say tomorrow will not matter what one iota in my opinion i've watched this case on um, you know the testimony and i've watched these jurors just get so irritated with him but all right so that said <laughs> my goal tomorrow is to figure out do they understand what i'm saying and why right. why the local examiner and i disagree because i think these kinds of disagreements are healthy and normal and natural it's on a not that big of a deal. Although, apparently they thought it was and they let a bunch of examiners know and now like 15 examiners from around the state have shown up because they heard Glenn's challenging this age, which I'm not challenging this agency at all. I'm not I'm not this is not controversial. This is what happens every day in the in the crime labs. Oh yeah. Examiners just dis- disagree. No big deal and they work it out. Uh, the difference is I, I'm testifying for one side. He's testifying for the other, and he and I never had a chance to work it out. I don't see this as that controversial, but I I think people are sh- are showing up to see fireworks, and they're not going to get them. I think they're going to be very disappointed <laughs> to see me put up a scale and say they said it's extremely strong support. I said it was moderate support. The model says limited support, and the verifier says – Strong support. So we're all over the map on this one. And here's why my conclusion is this. And I'll give examples of similar characteristics in other people. And I'll talk about pattern force. And I'm going to talk about, in my view, these characteristics are not that discriminating. And you heard his testimony saying that, in fact, he even said. In this area, because because it's in a core area and because of the recurves, it's a double loop whirl – double loop, <laughs> if you will um, – <laughs> that that's actually more discriminating, that, it's mo- that the characteristics are more discriminating in that region. And obviously I dis- disagree with that because you have pattern force from the pattern. Right. So we'll, we'll see how this all, all plays out, and I don't think it will be that big of a deal. I think jurors will clearly see – Glenn is not saying it's not his fingerprint. Glenn sees corresponding characteristics just not to the level that the this examiner sees. This examiner sees it to that level. Okay, and he's right. waiting this. Glenn's waiting that. Uh, maybe the real answer lies somewhere in the middle. Good enough, we're gonna convict him.
0: <laughs> uh well, and you know, it sounds actually fairly similar to when I did the Dobert hearing or the the federal rules of evidence hearing uh, technically uh, in Arizona all those years ago for that, uh, for that case, uh, Arizona versus Trammell uh, for that inconclusive with similarities at the time support for same source. Now where, uh, well, first off, you know, we had let other people and other local agencies know that this was, you know, going down as like a, basically essentially a Daubert hearing. Uh, so of people, you know, showed up. Um, it was funny because I didn't, I wasn't looking out in the crowd, I was looking up at the judge and at the attorneys, so when I finally got off the stand is when I first noticed that the room was full of latent print examiners. At least you know that they're coming. And and second that there was a defense expert there and you know, who disagreed. And you know, he was more old school where
1: So is no value.
0: Well, he he was a ident, no ID affected style. Uh-huh. Okay. 'Cause he was way old school, like he retired in two thousand one kind of old school.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: And had never used the word inconclusive in uh in his career. Okay. So inconclusive with similarities was a whole nother step. So you know, he what his testimony was that he was fine with just inconclusive but didn't want to go beyond that. Right. So but again, the judge and you know, the, the prosecutor pressed him on, yeah, but you're seeing the same things that he's saying you know th- there there are similarities here that you're both noting and and you know he couldn't disagree with that. It's just that final term that you're coming to that's the difference, which sounds very similar here, where you're both seeing that there are similarities present between the impressions, right The weight that you're giving them, the final conclusion you're reporting is really the only difference, yes, and then it's a matter of what the the jury takes from that.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: I, I really don't think it
1: is that big of a deal and shouldn't be perceived as that big of a deal. But I think I think this is new for them. And I don't know that they've ever had a defense expert, you know, have a different opinion. And I don't know why. Right. I don't I don't know why. And, and I hope I hope the local examiner is not offended by that. But I I think it surprised some within their agency, you know, down the road. Uh, we might have more differences of opinion if you start to open up more boxes for examiners to settle on that. That may be a consequence, not not a bad right. thing, as long as you have a conflict resolution policy, which they did, which I did, and you know, if I if I I used it, and if they needed to use it, they would have done that.
0: Right. No, well, as you go to more conclusions, you have more border zones it's those border zones in between the conclusions uh, that you need to work out and find the different, find how to separate between the two of them which is one of the reasons why i made that recommendation to to just carve out support for same source from the things that are almost an id and not not change where that id line is from what we've always been doing yeah you know that's not going to be applied equally across all agencies, across all jurisdictions, and even if you go from just the five conclusion scale to seven or nine, like you're doing, uh, that invites even more you know disagreements in in the terms.
1: Although, can, can I just say real quickly? Sure. Not that big of a deal because my my verifier was strong support and I was moderate support, but we were both within support for same source. So my True. report said something along the lines of while while we both agree on the conclusion rep- to be reported support for same source, we differ in the magnitude of support within that category.
0: Well, and what I think that we you know the a benefit for us is to go and talk to those people in question documents and those people in footwear that are already doing seven or nine divisions on their scale of conclusions and talk to them about how they handle these kinds of disagreements so that we don't have to reinvent the wheel ourselves. They've already had this decade's experience of doing that, working through these kinds of issues, and they can be a definite resource for us if it starts to become an issue for us. Yeah, if it does, yes.
1: All right, well, I have to head out, Eric. I have to go see a movie, and it's the last night that it's playing in the IMAX theater on the big screen digital surround and everything and I really want to catch this movie so
0: and what's the what movie is this
1: uh Downton Abbey because you have oh. to see on in imax uh, you know the the um, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's the no, only no, way no, to. No. Ex- so uh, it's the only way to experience, you know, that kind of intrigue between the Crawleys and the Talbots and the Lannisters and the Starks. Uh, I, I think I, I got the wrong.
0: I, I'm okay. So about, I think it first came out about ten years ago or so. Is that when Downton Abbey first started?
1: Actually, I don't know. I, I'm joking. It's Ad Astra. I'm going to go see okay. tonight. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, i I've, I've never actually seen the episode of as I like to refer to it, downtown Abbey just to piss people off
0: i I have seen part of one episode we're moving into our new house, and my wife was watching it, and I was kind of doing some some you know work, you know putting up picture frames or something, and I'm kind of watching part of an episode and again, just the first episode, and I have no idea what's going on, but what I catch is well. If you've ever seen the first episode, you know what I'm talking about. I don't. And yeah. then the person dies and I was like, "What are we watching here? This is <laughs> insanity." And uh I won't say it on on um on, on our podcast. I'll tell you off air here in a little bit, but okay. I I I uh I was like, "What is this show?" And um anyway so no I'm, I'm glad you're going to see an Astra instead I was like what? but now you can understand why I need to see it
1: on the big screen with the big scope and everything yeah, absolutely. I, I, I loved interstellar it was really has been one of my favorite movies in the last 10 years oh cool I hear that this is this year's interstellar so I want to go check it out all right all right so uh, yeah real quickly as I, as I'm gonna yep. head out I'm gonna plug a few things coming up All right. So uh, if people are interested, you can go to Ron Smith & Associates, and you can check out some classes that I'll be teaching in the future. So in 2020, I will be teaching in Calgary, Canada for our Canadian listeners. So come into Canada. I'll be teaching March 23rd through March 27th. That's the Advanced V class. In Hackensack, New Jersey, I'll be back there to teach again. That's April 20th through 24th. That's also Advanced ACV. That's just outside of New York City. And we now have our first practical answers to challenging questions in the courtroom a class under our belt i'll talk about that maybe on another episode uh, sure. it's the one where i teach with the defense attorney and carrie hall it was a really good class very happy for that we're about to get our next one booked which will probably be june and i'll just say southern california area june 2020 uh, we think we're going to be able to, to get that so people should if you're interested in that class and other classes, com. All
0: right. Well, with that, don't forget to uh, fo- you know head to our new website, double loop podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at double loop pod. Uh, you can email us questions, Eric at ray forensics.com or Glenn at elite dot services.com or go to patreon.com. If you want to be a supporter of us and like Glenn said, we'll, we'll get some stuff up on the uh, the premium side, you just log in with your Patreon login and you should be able to see the stuff there that we set for uh, Patreon users. Uh, remember, the uh, the opinions expressed in the show belong to the speakers and not to anyone that they may work, may work for. And with that, uh, thank you guys very much and talk to you guys later.
1: Bye, everybody. Have a good week.